Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Well, good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, I'm good, uh, and in part, uh, I am good because we are looking to the future. We're, we are wrapping up our wrap-up. <laughs> yes, we we have wrapped up our wrap-up, and we are, and I like it. We're looking to the future. What what shall be happening next? Supreme uh, Court term. It, it okay, sort of, wait. Did you uh, did you realize between last episode and this episode, I had an epiphany? Oh, you did. I had a couple of epiphanies. One of them is that I still want to be president and rule the world. Well, uh, of course, because uh, you, you did drop that little uh, morsel into uh, the uh, the episode. Yes, I'm just saying. Yes. But also, I had this um, sort of uh, epiphany about the term. Their term is the same as our term. Yeah, roughly Their speaking. term is a school year. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yep. The courts take you to school. Yeah, they're yeah they 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 frequently do, and, <laughs> and, and like many lessons learned in school, we don't necessarily yes we don't necessarily like them. <laughs> but I did I had never really put that together that they for the most part they run the academic school year they run October well they start in October and we start in August yeah but then they run to June so they're a little bit off of like a month off of us yeah. Well, you but know, that's, that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, it, it, but it's to be expected, you know, from these, you know, high end, you know, elite folks, you know, they well, also uh, yeah, the yeah. federal government runs on the October. Yeah, October uh, 1st to September, September 30th. 30th. That's that's their fiscal, fiscal year. year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that why their term starts in October is because it's the fiscal year or is it just because that's when they darn well feel like it and they're the Supreme Court? Uh, no, that's actually written into federal law, but that was a federal law that was passed decades before. Um, the fiscal con- year? Yeah, because okay. Congress didn't change uh, the fiscal year to uh, October 1st to September 30th until um, 1974. Oh, ooh, that recently. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, um, uh, so okay. anyway, we have some – we have a – do we have like lots and lots and lots of cases coming up? Um, well, so far, uh, the Supreme Court has uh, only accepted 21 cases for its next term. And we're not going to talk super in-depth, right? Because some of those we will actually go more in-depth when the oral arguments are done. Yeah, but but for listeners to put this in context, um, the Supreme Court will get thousands of I like to think a kazillion. <laughs> They'll get a kazillion appeals. <laughs> it's not that many, but I'm not entirely sure how many zeros are in a kazillion. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, is it, 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 <laughs> a bunch. <laughs> it's a bunch. Um, and, there are several and, and, commas. And, and, if we, and if we were not recording, um, and if this was not a family show, I would use one of my uh, uh, favorite expressions uh, taken from my colleague, Professor Saladino, um, that also means a bunch, but it's a little bit more profane. (laughs) But (laughs) anyways, for listeners to put this in context, um, uh, uh, the Supreme Court will get thousands of appeals this summer. Okay, when does that start? 
What? The appeals. Like, when do they start accepting? Oh, well, I'm assuming the, that it's like, or, it's, do they it's accept throughout them the, all year wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All it, year it's long. Okay. Yeah, it's throughout the year. Okay. But when the Supreme Court adjourns its term, basically the only people who will now be working at the Supreme Court are the poor clerks. Okay, are the administrative assistants and the clerks. And when you get first, when you first get hired to work for Supreme Court justice, your first job is to wade through all of the. Somebody uh, says, "How fast can you read?" Okay, all these appeals. <laughs> okay, these are known as writs of certiorari, cert writs, right? right? Okay. And we've talked about that in a previous yeah, yeah, right. Explain the process. Yeah, right. So the the courts. 2023 term docket will get filled in once they return from their um, <laughs> summer, summer, sabbatical. Yeah, summer sabbatical, right? <laughs> okay. Their money-making ventures over the summer, because that's what they're doing. Well, uh, they're uh, teaching uh, or they're speaking, speaking or, or you know, they're going cons- to visit rich friends or they're yeah. doing something. Yeah. See previous podcast episode where we discussed that at the end, right? So only 21 have been accepted, and we know that there were 58 this year, which means that we're looking at another at least probably 36 or 37. I don't know, unless they keep going down in number. But roughly that number will come out of the writs that were submitted, were were reviewed over the summer. Called by the by the clerks. Yeah. Yeah. For looking for interesting things. Yeah. And yeah, um, you and, can see our previous episode to see more detail about that. So yeah, they will I, add to this, but it won't be probably a huge number. No, I mean, I, I suspect uh, the court will accept somewhere between, you know, 35 and maybe 45 more cases. Um, but okay. I mean, right now we got roughly about what, a third? Okay. Of yeah. what their load is going to yeah, be? Yeah. Okay. So in, in, in a few of these cases, I think. We, we might want to pay attention to. Um, the first one out of the box is uh, U.S. Uh, versus Rahimi. Um, and this is a case coming from an appeal of a Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, declared that a federal law that prohibited a person who is subject to a domestic violence restraining order cannot um purchase a, a firearm in the fifth uh-huh. in the fifth circuit court of appeals says sorry um that violates the second amendment um if we the are right being to bear arms yes if we are being consistent with the supreme court's most recent second amendment missive bruin <laughs> okay the infamous uh-huh. bruin decision right now this set off Nia, you probably you know saw this in the newspaper, on the media. Uh, listeners, you may have seen this because this case got a lot of attention when the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued its ruling. Because well, it's certainly alarming to the person who may be the victim of the domestic violence that now you're saying this person can own a gun. Yes. Like if I take a restraining order against you and you're like me and my Glock are going to come visit, that's a little more, that's more frightening than I'm going to come visit without my Glock. Right. Like, so we see why there's a, there's a question there, but again, 
They don't take the easy ones because you would have the right to own that Glock according to the Second Amendment. Yeah, and, and the thing that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals really emphasized is that in many states, somebody can get a restraining order without actually demonstrating the person is violent. Right. So their point is the federal law is based on a number of state laws, okay, that have never demonstrated that the person who is subject to the restraining order has ever been violent. So if the logic is we're trying to protect others from violent people ever getting possession of a firearm, that's one thing. But because many restraining orders are issued without even a showing that a person is violent, then the federal law seemingly is too broad. Right. Again, this kind of sort of gets into this this notion of an overbroad federal legislation that's based on state laws. And Nia, you you are correct. I mean, you know, one of the purposes of a domestic relations restraining order is to protect one person, okay, from another in that particular family situation. Right. Right. And we certainly don't want a person who has demonstrated a propensity towards violence than to be able to, to be extra armed, extra armed. Right. Right. But there is the question of if they haven't done that. Yeah. Then yeah. are we violating their, yeah. Yeah. Their, Again, their constitutional this, this, right. this gets back to if it they was never easy, take the easy ones. <laughs> yeah. If it was easy, they want to go ahead and take this. Right. Right. <laughs> so that will be an interesting second amendment question. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, the next one, and I put this in there, and Nia, you know, you, you are so kind. Because you're an administrative law goob. Yes, 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 right? Okay, so let's just say, for instance, uh, Nia. Okay, wait, name of the case. Oh, the name of the case is the Securities and, and Exchange Commission versus, oh, I love this last name, Jerkesy, or excuse me, Jarkesy. J-A-R-K-E-S-Y. Jarkesy. Yes. For, 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 new, so for our newer listeners to the podcast episode, okay, you probably, you may not have heard this, but me and I really like a good name, right? Oh. Whether it's first or last, okay, we, you know, we like. We love a good name. We like a good name. And when I saw Jarkesy. I was just like, oh, oh, Nia's going to love that one. She's going to love this. But it's an administrative law case. And what's at issue here is, okay, let's just say, for instance, Nia, <clears throat> the Securities and Exchange thinks you, okay, um, who uh, run a publicly traded corporation, okay, has violated one of its thousands of regulations, right? Okay. Let's just okay. say that, okay, it does. So, it finds you a whole bunch of money because you violated one of the regulations. You don't think you have. So you challenge. I violated this other regulation, but not that one. Well, yeah, well, and you wouldn't even, <laughs> you wouldn't even admit to violating the other one, right? Right. You, right. Just, you just go ahead the and say. The reality is I didn't okay. violate the one yeah. you're accusing me of violating. Yes, right? And you challenge it, okay? Right. 
And what's going on here is, okay, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, for years has adjudicated all of these disputes within the agency using administrative law judges, right? Does it regularly find against itself? Uh, uh, well, no, I mean, that seems like a conflict of interest. Well, and that's part of the, if you will, controversy in regards to administrative law judges. They're hired by the agency per the authority of Congress. Okay. They get to adjudicate cases where somebody says the agency screwed up or harmed somebody else. But at the end of the day, they're employed by the agency on fixed terms and their salaries are determined by the agency. Right. And Jerkacy was just like, hey, wait a minute here. This is violating a whole bunch of constitutional stuff, right? From the Seventh Amendment in regards to civil penalties to whether or not, you know, allowing administrative law judges to issue these rulings that could affect my corporation. Okay. Doesn't that violate like, you know, you know, the, the fifth and sixth amendments in addition. And then there's this whole issue of can Congress actually give the executive branch all this authority to adjudicate these cases with judges that they hire, doesn't this violate what's known as the non-delegation doctrine? If you're going to delegate authority to the executive branch, you must do it with guidelines. Ah, regulations. Yes, intelligible principles. And this goes back to something we discussed in the most recent podcast episode. This case is like teed up for a Supreme Court that is increasingly skeptical of the executive branch exercising a whole bunch of authority and it's largely you know unregu- you know uncontrolled by the United States Congress right so i pointed this out simply because one i knew you would like the last name of the <laughs> the party you. in the case But this is just a fascinating case because so much of the modern administrative state is predicated on agencies, okay, issuing regulations, enforcing those regulations, and then if those enforcement decisions get challenged, they're internally adjudicated. Yes, right. (laughs) This has always been one of these controversial subjects. Yeah, it seems a little crooked to me. I mean, because I have to say, because otherwise you would have to hire a whole bunch of federal court judges to hear all of these challenges to what administrative agencies do. Right. (laughs) And by the way, those judges known as Article three judges get lifetime appointments and their salaries, Nia, are much higher. Aha. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. They're going to have to pay for that, and they can't be controlled by the executive branch. Mm. <laughs> now, our next case um, uh, is a. Uh, I is think a, that one, by the way, the SEC versus Jarkasi is going to be Byzantine as oh. all get out. Uh, you know how you had a we had two hundred and forty pages <laughs> yeah. for the for the affirmative action case. Yes. 
we're gonna we're gonna surpass that with that case. That yeah. case is gonna that case is gonna go berserk. Or they're gonna or they're gonna have one page and it's gonna yell, fix it, stop it, fix it, stop it, fix it, stop it, XOXO, the Supreme Court. Yeah, it's gonna be like uh, uh the 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 the, <laughs> the book project of the uh, author in um, um, uh, Stephen King's um, The Shining. Right. <laughs> okay. all, all work and no, nope. and no play makes My, Jack a dull boy. boy. Just over and over and over. Fix it, stop it, fix it, stop it, fix it, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's the first time we've referenced Stephen King in one of our podcast episodes. It could be. Wow. How about that? Okay. The next it case. It only took us four years to get around to. Well, and, and that's a shame. Yeah, right? it is. It, it, Yes, a lot of Stephen King formed my my life fears. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. And Needful Things may be one of the best books I've ever read. Um, the whole psychology of getting other people to turn against each other. It's very, very political. Oh, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's, right? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the next case is McElrath versus Georgia. Um, and, and Georgia case, as in the state or Georgia as in a person? Uh, this would be the state, okay? okay. Um, and uh, and it was and it's a fascinating case because Georgia went ahead and <laughs> tried somebody for a crime in which they were previously acquitted, right? And this is we you know for most constitutional law scholars we're like. We thought this was settled law. The, the Fifth Amendment has a prohibition on double jeopardy. Right. But alas, that, that, that did not stop Georgia. So we are going to be revisiting. How did Georgia get away with that? Oh, well, well I guess they didn't. It, it, it's coming to the Supreme Court. It's coming to the Supreme Court. But apparently the Georgia courts thought that the second charge was sufficiently different, even oh. though even though it was basically for the same behavior from what I've been able to read. Okay. okay? So that one's going to be interesting. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Okay. Ah, uh, the next one, this is for our, uh, um, woke progressive, uh, listeners. Uh, you might want to pay attention to this case more versus the United States. Okay. So there is currently a provision in the U S tax code that allows the IRS to tax what is referred to as unrealized sums of money. In other words, potential investment earnings earned overseas. And Moore is claiming that this violates the, uh, the 16th Amendment because Congress, okay, can only tax, okay, non-income, as long as it's apportionment apportioned among the states. So for those of you who don't recall the history of the 16th Amendment, prior to the 16th Amendment, the Supreme Court had ruled that um, uh, in the Pollock case that an income tax, okay, violated the U.S. Constitution because it was not apportioned among the states. An income tax is basically imposed on one's individual income. So if you're a state with a lot of high income earners, you would be paying greater amount in tax than a state that had a bunch of citizens that didn't earn as much money. 
and the ah. Supreme in the Supreme Court said that violated that provision in the original Constitution. While the Sixteenth Amendment gets around that, okay, because it imposes an income tax, okay, it imposes an income tax. So our Constitution was amended. Okay. But what Moore is saying is the federal government's trying to tax, okay, potential investment earnings, okay, but that's not income. That's potential investment earnings, right? And the reason why I'm flagging this case for our woke progressive listeners is that many scholars are thinking that the court took this case in part to address, okay, some discussion about a proposal to tax wealth, the infamous wealth tax. Is that the idea of you can only make so much money and then above that the government can take large portions of it? Or am well, I thinking of something no, else? No, that's a that would be an income um, uh, a surcharge related to income. Okay. So, you know, so how that would work is let's say for instance, uh, Nia, I make one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and the federal government says anybody who makes over one hundred fifty thousand dollars, okay, is going to be taxed additionally on every twenty five thousand dollars extra that they've earned. The wealth tax idea is to tax your wealth. So after you've paid your income tax, right, if what your wealth has been calculated, including, okay, income, investments, property you own, real and otherwise, if you're over a certain threshold, then you would have to pay an additional tax. Ah, but the 16th Amendment only allows income tax. Okay. Otherwise, according to the language of the Constitution, any other tax has to be apportioned, okay, among the states. Okay. So it wouldn't go to the federal government, it would go to the state government anyway. But if a state tries to do that, aren't they still violating the U.S. Constitution that prohibits such taxing arrangements? <laughs> that one's going to be a long. Oh, I mean, it's it's super complicated because, yeah. you know, the justices are going to go ahead during oral arguments and, you know, draw out these just really, you know, long in complex next hypotheticals. Right. right? So if the government does this, and if California wants to do that, right, can they tax this? Can they tax that, right? Okay, I, I think there should be like, you know, a, a performative dancers, okay, <laughs> during that oral argument. Like, anytime a hypothetical from this a justice- This wealth represents this. boats and planes and homes, <laughs> and this yeah. person yeah. represents- cash and, yes. and this person represents investments and yeah. this is how they work to get oh my gosh it would be very martha graham oh but don't don't you think that would be a much more entertaining or i argument? would want to see that oral argument i wish that i would be able to they need cameras at oh. some point do you think the supremes will ever move into this century and have cameras in the court no nah. 
Nope. I think all. I I think nearly it's really too bad because part of the their ethical problems stem from the mystery that surrounds the court. Yeah, you can if make that they, argument. Yeah, if they committed their courtness in front of people, they might. I don't know how you would say that, but you know what I mean. Like if they had oral arguments where everybody could watch them, it might. Anyway, anyway. Okay, so I got two more cases um, that listeners uh, may want to pay some attention to. Uh, and again, uh, I included this this case in part because I thought, uh, Nia, you would like uh, the uh, at least one of the named parties. And you know how in the previous case you were you were having our sort of liberal woke listeners um, who are on the progressive side for the wealth tax question. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm thinking our conservative our 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 um that group of listeners might be more interested in this case. Sure. Yes. Because this case uh, it go ahead. Okay. So the name of the case is O'Connor Ratcliffe versus Garnier. Just... That's right. Ratcliffe versus Garnier. <laughs> okay. Both great names. Yeah. So the issue here is, so let's say you have a public official engaging in state action. Are they subject to the First Amendment if they block an individual from the official's personal social media account when the official uses the account to feature their job? And communicate about job-related matters with the public, but does not do so pursuant to any government authority or duty. So let's just say, for instance, Nia, you you are – If you put messages on your Twitter account that have to do with your job. As an elected official. Right, like your mayor. Yeah. Mayor of Richmond. Yes. Okay. Well, and, no. And let, let, have, wait, 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 wait. Well, let's let's go with a hypothetical that I know you're rather fond of. Nia, let's say you're elected president of the United States, right? Yes. Let's <laughs> there, say that. Okay. And Nia, <laughs> you have your own Twitter account. You had it before you even ran for elected office, but right. you use your Twitter account to go ahead and you know discuss and say presidential things. Things, right? You know. You know, hey, this is me in the Rose Garden and, okay. This is me signing this document to do this following thing or whatever. Yeah, and this is me at a state dinner. This is me at the Space Force. (laughs) This is me at a state dinner with an official from another country, and I don't know who they are or who that country is, but this is me looking presidential, right? (laughs) Can you? And then okay. you stay, you go on my Twitter account and you're like, you don't look presidential at all. Yeah. You are a big booger head. Yes. Am I allowed to block you? You delete, you know, from your, commenting yes, and on my social media. media. And and that's a big question. And if yeah, first, because and if, if that's going to be a, a quote unofficial communication. Yes. About but, presidential stuff, and I block you. From that, seeing it, and block you that from limits your and block it and blocking you from commenting on it. Right when I allow other people others to people do it, it would be one thing if I blocked everybody. Yes, then I probably wouldn't have a legal question about that. 
right? Probably not. There were no comments at all. But if I only allowed comments of people that I like or people who like me or people who are supportive. But then look at look at the last phrase in the question. But does not do so pursuant to any government authority or duty. It's not the official presidential account. Yes. It's my personal Yes. And, and, and this first arose with, and this is the reason why listeners, Nia said, maybe our conservative listeners might want to pay attention to this case. It first arose with President Donald Trump. Right. Who tried to go ahead and block, okay, shall we say, critics, okay. Of That's his, a nice way to put it. Of his administration. On various social media. Yeah, on various social media. Now, the lower federal courts ruled against the president. But once he left office, the case kind of sort of became moot. Right. Okay. But this has unmooted it. Yes. <laughs> you, you didn't know that was a word, did you? <laughs> no, I did not. I'm going to have to remember <laughs> that. Okay. Um, uh, so you, you might want to pay – and by the way, this applies to politicians of both political parties quite obviously. Right. We're, but, we're, but we are saying that because – This first arose because of – Of, of, of conservative media. And, and, I, and I recall afterwards, okay, um, um, uh, free speech advocates were like, hey, this is great. But a number of constitutional law scholars were just like, whoa, 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 right? This is not a good idea, right? If this becomes the norm, this might lead elected officials to stop doing what? Communicating through social media. Right. Okay. And instead, they're only going to rely upon official government social media accounts. And those, quite obviously, can be regulated. Okay. Right. Because the government created the forum. Right. Ah, again, <laughs> if it was easy, they wouldn't have taken it. Right. Yeah. That one's going to be tough. The next one is uh, deals with a case um, that, that uh, uh, concerning a law um, that Nia and I on previous podcast episodes have spoken rather favorably of. OK, a number of times. But it, it's the following case. <laughs> OK, so Lawfer. The name of the case is Atkinson Hotels versus Lawfer. Lawfer, okay, um, is, and she's acknowledged this in court, she is a self-appointed Americans with Disabilities Act tester. So basically what she does is she tests a number of businesses, you know, in person, on websites, phone, you know, uh, customer service, you know, phone, etc. To she see if they're compliant. Compliant with the law. Okay. With the ADA. Yeah. With the ADA law. Yeah, with ADA. Now, she did this with Atkinson Hotels website. Okay. And Atkinson Hotels challenged her standing because she acknowledged, okay, that she ha- she lacked any intention of visiting their place of public accommodation, okay? She just wanted to see, okay, if they actually did provide disability accessibility information on its website. 
So what she did was she went to the hotel's website. Found for, their, it, for their public rooms. Public rooms. Not for their private hotel yeah. rooms, but for their – like to say you're going to go there for a conference. Conference, okay. Well, the, can they accommodate yes. a variety of – And she said their website uh, uh, failed to provide disability accessible information on its website. So she sued them per the ADA. And the hotel – in the deposition, got her to admit that she had no intention of ever going to any of their hotels. So the hotel is saying she doesn't have standing because since she had no intention of going and using any of her any of their hotels, she can't say she was injured. Okay, I could see that. But again, this is a really difficult question because but I you, can see her side of saying just because I wasn't going to use your space doesn't mean I don't I don't have reason to know whether your space would be usable or not. Not. OK. And again, because of the way the ADA is written. OK. The question kind of sort of becomes. Who's got the burden to show? whether or not the company, okay, failed to comply with the law because the company is saying, we don't even have to show we were complying with the law because she's never been injured. Ah. Wow. Again, if this was easy. How much you want to bet, though, that when you go to their hotel website now, it talks about Oh, it's about been changed. ADA yeah. Like, yeah, 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 right? <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, I mean, in part, she got what she would have want. Like, yeah, but what she was also. But it is an interesting question, and it comes back to this other question, which we have, and and we have a couple of minutes, so I'm going to briefly talk about this. There are people who will go around and see if a shop has a yeah. handicap parking space in front of it, yeah. and if they don't, they will file a lawsuit against that shop. Yeah. To force them to come into compliance. Yeah. Some of those people need those spaces and some of them do not. Do not. Yep. yep. But but the shops will comply in part because getting a lawyer and fighting that is way more expensive, expensive. Yes. than compliance. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what the folk, the testers depend on is that it's expensive to not comply, right? So they, yeah. Yeah. they shops it, it, will just comply. It, but it can force shops where the where the ADA does not apply to them. Yes. Yeah. It, it can it can put them in an interesting or odd position. So I see it on both sides, right? Some of that can be abuse can be abusive to to companies or to um, sort of overzealous people who are engaging yeah. in gotcha sort of politics. Yeah, because but the flip to that is this is a reaction to the fact that people used to have to drag themselves onto a bus. Yeah. Because buses yeah. did not accommodate wheelchairs. So they had to crawl and then drag themselves onto a bus and then somebody else had to bring their wheelchair on the bus, which is unacceptable. It's not a way to treat yeah, no. people who need to get around. No. And, in and, the world, it, right? and, and listeners, what Nia is pointing to is after the law was um, passed and signed. 
uh, by the Bush 41 administration. Yeah, and it was that late in our history. Yeah, that late in our history. Which is right? extremely unfortunate. That's only been 30 plus years. Yeah, slightly over 30 years. There yeah. was a protracted period of time where not only businesses, but various governments in the United States, okay, had to be pushed. Right, forced in, to comply. Into court to comply, right? right? And, you know, and one of the key phrases in the law is um, uh, 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 an undue hardship on the business to comply, right? And what advocates for Americans with disabilities frequently ran into is that at least initially, many, you know, businesses, including various governments in this country, okay, um, would argue, okay, in protracted court cases. It's okay? undue burden. Burn, it's yeah, blah, right. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, on the other hand, as Nia points out, if you're a small business, okay, um, and, you know. And, and it takes you a while to put in a ramp or it yeah. takes you a while to do those sorts because it's financially – it would Your be business runs on a shoestring. It would be a hardship. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and so and being again, dragged into court makes that only worse, not better. Yeah. And, and, and what you see, not only with the ADA, we see this with other laws. There are advocates, interest groups that employ testers and they use the threat of litigation to get behavioral change. And sometimes that that's effective, but if that's done enough, then the assumption of many courts is, well, until you demonstrate you are actually going to use the business, you've not been injured. Right. So you don't have standing. So this is why this case becomes extremely important for the Supreme Court to kind of sort of weigh in. And again, this is a statutory case this can you know this is about a federal law okay because there's no provision in the u.s constitution other than the equal protection clause the basis of this case is ada so even if the supreme court rules in a way that congress does not like congress could go ahead and rewrite the law but to, to me it was just fascinating right because i mean <laughs> Lawford just came out and admitted it in a deposition. Yeah, I had no intention of using their hotel. My job, okay, was to go around and check out their websites. Were they, you know, uh, accessible to those with disabilities? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and the and the thing is, when that case comes up, and when lots of cases come up. I think that it's good for people to remember that despite whatever the media is going to say about that, and they're going to say all kinds of interesting things, one, compliance with the ADA is good business. Yeah. It's because a that smart becomes, thing to do. Because that becomes an entire body of clients, customers. That you have opened yourself up to. Yes. It's it's smart business. It's also ethically good. Yes. Right? And nobody here is questioning that the ADA is is a good thing. The ADA is a good thing. Oh, it's yeah. Forced. 
it forced public transportation to change. It forced public buildings to change. change. And that yes. was all good. Good. Those yep. were good things. But it, it does bring into question sort of at, at what point have advocates crossed a line into, and forgive me, this is probably not the right word, but I'm going to use it, harassment. Yeah, it's right? kind of... It, what it's point a, have they crossed the line into, it is no longer about getting access, it is about punishing. Yeah. Because really what we want here is access. I think yes. most people would say, I don't want to punish a business, I just want to use the business. Like I yeah. want... I want, I, I want to have equal access to. I want the behavior to change. And right. and as you and I have discussed on this podcast, there are times where you don't get behavior behavioral change, okay, when you are um uh always crying wolf. Right? right? Okay, and and you know that's an old, you know, biblical meta metaphor, but you know, after a while, if you go ahead and are, you know, overzealous then the reaction of many supporters is, okay, now you guys have just, you know, gone too far. Right. right? Um, you have to be careful in, in, in activism and finding that line. The, the, that, that sweet spot, right? Right. The sweet I mean, spot of everybody yeah. agrees and we all want to fix it. And yeah, go yeah. just beyond that. And people are like, really? Now you're just, now you're just making it hard on small business and Ackeson Hotels may may very well not be a small business. I don't know which which chain that is, but like you know, just kind of. Uh, so I'll be interested to see what the courts say about that. Yeah, but I mean, you know, uh, and again, is if this was an easy case, they wouldn't have taken it. I mean, but right. when I saw this, I was just like, whoa, hey. Okay, so before we go, can I ask you a a question which I did not prepare you for, and so you can feel free that you tell me that you don't want to talk about it right now. Sure, go ahead. But I want to ask you a question. Do you think that we will see a Supreme Court case that involves the former president of the United States and potential indictments slash whatever? Will that make it to the Supreme Court? Um, I think uh, – well, the, the, the first case, uh, the one brought by the uh, – what was it, the Manhattan DA – um uh about the use of federal campaign monies um i think eventually that case is going to get tossed um i i just think the legal argument um you know do i think that the former president when he was running for office you know paid off um uh um you know uh somebody he had sex with <laughs> so wanted to go public yes i did yeah i do believe that I just don't think that he necessarily broke any, you know, federal uh, federal election laws. The the one case that yeah, ethical versus legal legal yeah right. The case that I think has the potential is the um, uh, what Trump did with uh, classified documents after he left office, and I'm trying to think about. What would be legal issues that could rise to the level of the Supreme Court? And right now, I'm not seeing any simply because what he got charged with are well-established federal laws. And I don't necessarily think that he's being charged in unusual ways, right? So 
you understand what I'm saying? Nina? I do. I'm yeah. wondering if his defense of when you're the president, it's not illegal, right? Which is the Nixon defense of yeah, but sort of my behavior is my behavior because I'm the president and I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> that we never saw that come before the court with Nixon. Yeah. Nixon went away before that argument yeah. Yeah. got made to the Supremes about where where presidential power but right, executive but yeah, but but with, 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 with the classified documents, he was already out of power. He was no longer in office. He took the documents with him after he was no longer in office. And then the obstruction charges are him hiding those documents. He's a former president. He became a former president once Joe Biden took the oath. Okay. So yeah. you don't think we'll see that argument? Uh, no. I would love to know what the court would do with that argument. <laughs> this sort of this sort of president is king kind of argument. Um, but I I'm fascinated too by this idea that the court, in some instances, doesn't weigh in because it it says that is a political branch. I mean, that is the the legislative. Yeah, I mean that's that's up to the politics yeah, side of this thing, and we're yeah. not going to deal with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, people who say this is going to end up with the Supreme Court, I was, no. I'm like. I don't know I, if it will because no, I, I, they I, try not to get involved in that sort of no, I mean, and political and, and, weighing in kind of thing. Yeah, and you know, and, and and when I hear that type of argument, I'm like, you know, this is a court that generally tries to stay out of the limelight, right? I mean, um, and, yeah, and we're not doing the greatest job of that right now, but no, yes. and 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 and. And, and and again, I think if the current you know Chief Justice uh, John Roberts had his way, um, you know next term the Supreme Court would not take any landmark constitutional <laughs> law cases. Controversial case. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. We're just going to quietly settle a bunch of administrative law type things. And, yeah, like, you know, you know let's take, be boring. Yeah, be boring for a year. Yeah, let's let's take about you know four or five uh, tax cases. Let's let's, let's let, take the spotlight off of ourselves. Yeah, let's take a few more trademark cases. Um, <laughs> um, hopefully none of them actually you know touch upon, you know the First Amendment and freedom of speech. But you know, um, you know let's take a whole bunch of those cases. You know maybe let's you know throw in a good maritime case. You know we have we haven't ever. <laughs> We haven't had one of those. We haven't dealt with the oceans in a long time. Long time, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, you know, hey, let's face it. Most Americans can't identify, you know, most of the oceans anyways, right? <laughs> At least, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, wait a minute. If, if that sounded snarky, I'm just relying upon, you know, public opinion polls where, you know, many Americans struggle to go ahead and name the oceans, right? So, <laughs> listeners, okay, I'm not being condescending. Don't be offended. Don't uh, be offended. Uh, uh, it doesn't uh, mean you. No, I don't, I, I don't mean you. Okay, um, you should not feel attacked. I just know that you know is it, recently. Is, well, and you've also dealt with Saladino giving his map quizzes and being and having despair. Yeah, right. And 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 then also you know having a, an eleven year old, okay, who's coming home and I got to help her with her geography homework and I got to give her like you know quiz preparation for, you know the the continents. <laughs> the oceans i'm just like really what are they that... teaching you these days i'm like you know what they're teaching them they're teaching them to look it up 
Yeah. And I'm like, and then of course it forces me to go ahead and say, really, there's that many oceans. I don't recall <laughs> that many oceans. <laughs> thank you, Augie. Yeah, I'm looking you. forward to some of these cases as they get argued because yeah. we will hear even more nuance in the arguments. Yeah. Yeah. And so that will be really interesting. Yeah. But it's been a good summer and I look forward to seeing you in the fall. All right. Yeah. Likewise. Um, and, and again, listeners, uh, we have, uh, uh, a, a few, uh, uh, a couple new series that we have planned, and we do. Uh, we're doing. We're gonna. Re, we're gonna continue to visit the Federalist Papers. Papers, yes. Um, and we are. We we're gonna sprinkle in some of our favorites because we we have been asked about that. Just on personal note, what's your favorite political? And they're all political related. They're not yeah. just you know what's your favorite song because how long do you have? Um, for either one of us, right? That would be a terrible um, decade genre. Exactly. I'm going to need you to skip it down to a month within a year, within a, you know, for me to pick my favorite song. Um, But, and we're also at some point, maybe this fall, but maybe in the spring, going to start visiting some of the grounding documents of the United States. States, Yes. Yeah. Common sense and the you know, Declaration, Declaration of Independ- Independence, um, maybe the um, uh, First Continental Congress. Um, um, and, exactly. Another, yeah. And, another, and those and, and personal letters written at the time, right? And, about and, um, things that are were going on in government. So. And Nia, um, Nia mentioned uh, also off uh, recording, maybe uh, pulling up uh, one of the uh, colonies' charters. Um, you yeah. know, to to see um, um, lots of that, primary sources we're going to yeah you yeah. So, uh, anyways, listeners, uh, we sincerely hope you have a good summer, um, and um, we'll see you late August. Yeah, late August, and um, uh, take care of uh, yourself and one another. Yep. Thank yep. you. Thank you, Neil. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.